chapter 13. And um, certainly appreciate everything that's taking place here this week. Everybody driving to Panama City that went for that. And um, also, there's a lot of positive traction we're making over in the student building. And uh, appreciate that. And um, this morning while we were singing that first song, uh, Psalm 8 just kept popping up in my mind. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And I feel a sense of worship that's here in this sanctuary here this morning. And I think much of it has to do with our prayer revival. We had a excellent prayer revival this past week, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. The Lord was here, and he heard our prayers, and he is answering our prayers and is working in every one of us in our behalf. John chapter 13, and I would like to begin in verse 18. Bible says there, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I'll tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit, and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Simon, Satan, entered into him. And then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. And this is a very provoking phrase in the Scriptures. says, And it was night. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts here this morning. Lord, I am thankful for the presence of the Spirit that I feel here this morning. Lord, it has been encouraging. It's been uplifting. Lord, I would even say, God, it has been restful. And I pray, Lord, that now, God, that as we come, Lord, to this part of our worship, that your word, Lord, would be preached and that somehow, 
Lord, that it would enter, Lord, into every one of our minds and our hearts. And Lord, that we would even somehow, God, as, as this scripture unfolds, that we would look, God, even within our own hearts to ask, Lord, those questions of whether or not we are really standing firmly, God, with you in a, Lord, great foundation. Or, Lord, are, are we like the chaff, Lord, that's going to be blown away by the wind? I pray, Lord, today that before we leave this house that you would have ministered and convicted and touched, Lord, every individual heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible is a field with traitors. Uh, oftentimes we do not really, uh, are not really aware of that matter where that scripture speaks of traitors. But in the Old Testament, we know about uh, Absalom and how that he betrayed his own father. We look and we find out that there was another man by the name of Ahithophel that uh, was in cahoots, I guess you would say, with Absalom uh, to work against David. But there are a number of other people in the Scripture that oftentimes that we may not be aware of. Sheba, Jeroboam, Brother Patterson read some about that here this morning. Basha, Zimri, various others that you read about in the Kings and the Chronicles as those stories unfold about some of the darkest and most treacherous characters that we find in the Word of the Lord. But there's two that really seems to stand out to me over the years in the Bible, and one of them is from the Old Testament, a man by the name of Doeg, who uh, was one of Saul's henchmen, and that he was uh, really responsible for the death of the priest there uh, at Nob. And then his counterpart, if you want to call him that, when we look to the New Testament, would be Judas. And we look at Judas as he is there in that upper room and, and his actions will soon betray him and will lead him down to the path of a tragic suicide. I want to preach to you here this morning about Judas the betrayer. I mentioned here a few weeks ago when I started preaching out of John 13 and over the next several months and weeks or weeks and months, I am going to visit this perhaps not every time I preach, but I do have a goal to work through these chapters of what I have called the upper room principles. John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, in the margin of my Bible, I have written, they are called the upper room principles. There is in the neighborhood there of 155 verses and some 4,000 words that you read there. And, and I preached here just a couple of weeks ago about the, the principle of servanthood. But this morning, I want to speak to you about another principle, and that is the one of self-examination. 
The scriptures bring to us the need for us to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians 11 and 28, but let a man examine himself. And that scripture there is in uh, the part and the context of taking communion and being involved in the Lord's Supper. But there's others that we read there. Psalm 26 and 2, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. And then in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40, let us search and try our ways and turn again unto the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith, and prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. And so I ask you this morning, how long has it been since you really took a deep look at where that you stand spiritually? What are the things that are going on in your mind and in your spirit? I ask you this question here today. What about the matter of devotion and prayer? Where is that at in your life and how often do you look at the things that motivate your life and that they drive you to do the will and the purpose of God or do they cause you to do the will and the purpose of the world and its ruler the devil if you're a Bible reader of any kind, then you have to say that whenever you begin to read in John chapter 13, that, that this text is not one that you can just zip through and just kind of dismiss, but there are very troubling things that, that take place here, and I want to point out some of them here this morning. Everything that will take place here in this text is, is at the place of the Passover meal. Now I want you to, to kind of get in your mind that, that the room is quiet. It's probably not that well lit. It's probably somewhat dark. There can be candles and, and lanterns that are fueled by olive oil that is there. And yet, it is a matter of close friends that they have, have drawn together. When you read the account that Luke writes, there, there's been some bickering back and forth. And I don't know that if that bickering has been malicious in its intent or if that bickering has just been kind of like brothers jockeying for position there. But these men are comfortable enough that there is something about it that they are close and that they have spent their lives with the Lord for the last three plus years. And there's a spiritual element about what's taking place there because they are there to observe the Passover. And so it is, it's a special time for those disciples to be there. But, but somewhere hitting 
There is a betrayer. That betrayer catches everybody off guard except for our Lord. He is expecting him. And before it's over with, he will expose to those disciples who that that betrayer is. Look there in your Bibles at verse 18. Jesus says it like this. He said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And so verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send, he receives me. And he that receiveth me, he receives him that has sent me. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit. Eugene Peterson in his uh, paraphrase of the Bible, he, he writes it like this, that Jesus became visibly upset whenever he said that. And, and he testified and he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom Jesus spake. And so now, if you remember Jesus washing the feet of his disciples in the very early portion of John 13, he now turns from the role of a servant. And now he is going to command the position of being a teacher. He tells his disciples, he said, I want you to know this. He said, I'm not talking about all of you. He said, but there's somebody that's here that is in the midst of us and that person will betray me. The scripture is about to be fulfilled. Psalm 41 and 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, he hath lifted me up, or lifted up his heel against me. That's Psalm 41. The first 42 Psalms in the Psalms were written by David, and this is one of his laments. And what he's writing about is he's writing about the time where that Absalom and Ahithophel began to become into a collusion, to become against him, to try to take the throne away from him. But notice that phrase there in Psalm 41 and 9, hath lifted up his heel against me. The Hebrew expression there would be that, that he has lifted up a sail. He, he has come forth against me in a very haughty, in a very arrogant way. He is going to rise up in opposition. It can be even deemed that he will try to take terrible advantage against me or he has been very brutally violent toward me in that way. One of David's closest advisors had betrayed him and had been involved there with his son and now the Lord reaches back to the Old Testament and he pulls it out and he says that it is here that is in the Passover. Jesus 
Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's telling them that before the betrayer ever even gets there, that the Lord says, I am expecting him. That's what I see there in those verses there, John 13, verses 18 through 22, that, that he is expecting him. He, he comes along and he's saying, men, there is an Ahithophel. There is an Absalom that is in the middle. He is in, sitting here in our midst. He wanted his disciples to know that there was something that was to be about to unfold there. And he was saying that there are things here that trouble me deeply. And I do like what Eugene Peterson wrote there that he paraphrased it and said that Jesus was visibly upset. What would it be that the Lord would be upset about? He would be upset about so many different things. He, he would know how that he had loved Judas and tried to bring him back there in to the fold there. He would look at Judas and he would say that there is an ungrateful and even an unthankful spirit that has been lodged toward me. He, he would also feel and be troubled about the overwhelming spiritual darkness that was being embodied right there in that man that sat there in the midst of them the hatred that the Lord had for Satan and the gross evil remember this that even though that the Lord was God robed in flesh that because he was flesh that there was still human emotions that our Lord had and, and I would just tell you that the longer that I live and that the, the older I become the more there is in inside of me just a hatred for sin and a hatred for evil and, and a hatred for the advantage that the enemy sometimes is taking in our world here. But also Jesus was troubled about the matter that he knew that Judas... <coughs> was going to face an eternal hell and, and there was something about it that, that, that Jesus was concerned about that but, but look at the, the disciples there they doubted that's what John writes and John's writing it he's writing about himself he said we doubted what the Lord had to say there that there, there's no way there can be a betrayer among us we, we have been too close we're too tight knit there's no way that there can be somebody that is here in the middle of us because here's the matter when you look in other places in Matthew 26 and 22 and even in Mark 14 verses 18 and 19 all of the disciples began to question the Lord Lord is it is it me am I the one that is going to betray you they are so bewildered and, and confused about what was taking place and they are unsettled by it but yet they doubt they're like Jesus has been under an incredible amount of pressure we know that he's God but, but they're still he's been under a lot of pressure and, and, and we're not sure that, that, that what he is saying is accurate I used this I think last Sunday morning whenever I was teaching the adult Sunday school 
lesson. It would almost be as if I was to walk down this center aisle right here in this church and just put my arms out and wave them across this congregation and say sitting somewhere in the middle of you there is a serial killer and that there is somebody that has gone along and then has committed these horrific crimes and, and they have done it over a long period of years. You, you would look at me and you would think, I knew it, I know. I know he, he's, his books has got to him. I, I know that, that he must have got up and won the bookworms. It must have, when he inhaled, it got up in his nose and it's up in his brain and it's crossed over and, and uh, Harrelson is, is flipped over. He's gone. He's, there's no way there could be a serial killer in the middle of all of us here. And that is the reaction of those disciples there. They're, they're confused. And they're like, there's no way that this could be taking place. But the Lord is saying, I want you to know I'm about to expose and let you realize that there is a betrayer that is here among you. Look now to verse 23. John writes it like this. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom or his chest one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask of who it was that whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And so there in uh, that first segment of verses, 20, uh, 18 through 22, the, the betrayer there is expected. Now Jesus is going to expose him. The way that they were eaten is not like you would look at Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper. They're not all sitting uh, flanking the Lord down this large table and the Lord sitting there in the middle of that. They were in a small room and in that room there, there were tables that were there. Those tables would have been anywhere from 6 to 8 inches to as high as 18 inches and they were laying back reclining as they would eat there. And, and strangely enough the honored guest would be the one that was sitting closest to the host who would be Jesus and so the honored guest is going to be Judas and the other honored guest is going to be John and John is there and Peter whispers to John John ask the Lord who he's talking about and there is that part where that John whispers over to the Lord because all of this uh, is seemingly taking place covertly and these other disciples are not aware of what's taking place and the Lord says I'll tell you what he said whenever I take the salt and if you have a, a, a comparison if some of you like to go eat at that uh, Mediterranean restaurant out 84 Eat West I forgot the name of it and the reason that I don't eat there very much is, is because they say it's locale. And, and uh, I believe if you're going to go out and eat, you ought not to waste your money on locale food. But anyways, uh, the Mediterranean restaurant that's out there, Tzatziki's or whatever it's called. I don't think that may or may not be the name. I mean, when I go, I like the A-Y-C-E. Y'all know what that is? 
All you can eat. That's the kind of, if you're going to go eat at a restaurant, don't waste it on low-carb, low-cal, salad sort of stuff. I mean, just go all out when you go to eat. But anyway, the description of the sop would be similar to a piece of that that pita bread that they pass out there at at Tzatziki's. And what the Lord would have done was he would have taken that and he would have dipped that into like a a dipping like we would dip... uh, Doritos or whatever into uh, some, you see Sister Rebecca here today, she's the one that keyed me into the the chicken and the, and I'm burning up this sermon right now, I shouldn't even taste this rabbit, but anyway, you'll get the picture, but taking all of the cream cheese and the stuff and mixing it up with uh, chicken and 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 just having a big time with that. That that's what the Lord would have done. He would have he would have dipped that down into a mixture of dates and raisins and crushed fruit that that would have been on that. And and then to John John's horror, the Lord takes that and he hands it to Judas. Judas, the accomplished hypocrite. The man that's able to fly under the radar. The man that's been trusted with the money. He would have been the man that wore the Brooks Brothers suits. He would have worn the heart shafter and marks. He would have worn the Zegna tie. He would have worn the Johnston and Murphy shoes there. He would have been well healed. And, and he would have been the most polished among all the disciples because he was the only one that was not from Galilee. He was a man that somehow had learned how to live in two worlds. He would have been the man that that if he attended church here, he would have been the man that was always on time. He would have been the man that you could hear praying. He he was a man that that he knew the songs. He paid his tithes. He, He marked in his Bible. He was a man that you never would suspect that he would be the betrayer. He knows his Bible. He knows his doctrine. Absolutely no suspicion on anybody's part that this man would be the one that would betray the Lord. But the disciples and all of that, in fact, when you read in Acts chapter 1, Luke writes it like this. He, He says that Judas, he was numbered with us and he had obtained part of this ministry. I know a few weeks ago I preached in Romans 8 about the assurance of salvation and I believe that with all of my heart. But hear me church, I preached to myself here this morning that until we have made it to the other side there cannot be any overconfidence that begins to develop in our hearts is it because none of us are immune from committing some of the most heinous and so most horrible sins that anyone could commit that's why I'm just going to tell you again every church service is important every prayer revival is important. Can I, can I just say this to you about giving with Brother
trying to, without, without any pretense or that I'm trying to get more money out of you. But I'm going to tell you this, that if you believe in something, you're going to invest your money in that. And so you're praying, your attendance, your giving, your devotion, every bit of that is important in your walk with the Lord. Every bit of it is. I don't think it would be a stretch to say, Brother Chad, last Sunday morning preached you know, out of Luke chapter 10 or made a reference to Luke 10 and, and uh, about the sending out of the 70 there. The, that 70 that got sent out were separate from the 12 that had gotten sent out. I dare say that we probably could surmise, and I, I believe this, to say that all of the disciples, that they would have had the same power in them to do the same thing that the 70 did and so if the 70 accomplished the wonderful things that they did that we read about in Luke 10 then I feel that Judas probably knew what it was like to lay hands on somebody and see them healed and and to see a demon expelled from them and to see the wonderful works of God that Judas could have been involved in that But now in this upper room, the Lord was reaching for him one more time. But look to your Bibles there to verse 27. The Bible says there, And after the sop, Satan entered into him, and then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them had thought that because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the salt, went immediately out. And it was night. And so finally... The betrayer gets to that last portion that we read about and he's expelled. There's a pattern in the life of Judas and I want you to see this even in your own Bible. Why don't you turn back with me just a few pages to John chapter 6 and notice what takes place there. Look in John chapter 6 and I want you to look with me to verse 64. John chapter 6 and verse 64. Here is what John writing again. He says it like this. He said, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now I want you to skip down and look to verse 71. The Bible says there he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. Now turn back to John chapter 13. And I want you to look with me there in John chapter 13 and look in verse 2. Here's what John writes. He said in supper, John 13 and 2, and supper being ended, the devil having now put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Skip down to verse 11. The Bible says, Therefore he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. And then look there to verse 27. 
The Bible says it like this. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest do quickly. I want to make a connection between John chapter 13 and verse 2 and John 13 and 27. Notice what it says there in 2. It says he put it into his heart. And then in verse 27 it says that Satan entered into him. Here is what happens. There was something about it that the thought got there. And it began to work and began to fester and began to grow. So from the time that the thought was there in his heart to now the place where that the devil literally possesses him. And notice what happens. The attitude of the Lord changes immediately toward Judas And this is a huge dilemma for Judas because now the devil and the Lord, they are both telling him to do the very same thing. That is heart-stopping. And that is how that people fall into the trap of justifying and rationalizing their sin is that they begin to deal and dally with some kind of tempting that comes literally from hell and it sits there and it grows but then as it moves into the mind the Bible tells us that it takes place and then the Lord and the devil are both telling him to do the very same thing and sin if it is not stopped in that seed and thought stage the outcome is going to be absolutely detrimental don't ever forget what James writes in James chapter 1 whenever he begins to talk about how that the seed how that it starts there and it begins to move from one step to another step unto another until finally that man is taken down I want to read to you Romans chapter 1 and I'm not going to read the whole portion there but this is out of the Amplified Bible verse 29 until they were filled, permeated and saturated with every kind of unrighteousness and iniquity grasping and covetous greed and malice. They were full of envy and jealousy, murder, strife, deceit and treachery, ill will, and cruel ways. They were secret backbiters and gossipers. And he goes on to begin to tell how that that matter is. This is more probably, I've had more time on Sunday night, and I would have delved off into this, but for the sake of time, I'll just throw it by that, 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 and sometimes there is a matter of whether or not the Christians can be possessed with a devil. There's ample scripture that tells us that a Christian, a true believer, a saint of God cannot be possessed by a devil. However, there are times where that I have come to see this, that there are some times where that, that we can be influenced by Satan and some of the most vicious people you'll ever meet in your life are people that are influenced by the work of Satan. I believe there's diagnostic tools that we can look at and that we can begin to analyze and ask ourselves, what does my heart look like? One of those places you can read to look and do a diagnostic test is in Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, they're an abomination unto him, a proud look, 
A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift to run into mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. And here is a fact. Why in the world... <coughs> Would we go down that trail? Why would I go down this particular trail this morning? It's because it's in the Bible. And there's times where we want to pick and choose the things where that we read about. But understand this, that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was there with his closest followers. This was not people that were on the fringe and that were admirers of him. This is the inner circle. These are people that are right here in the center of all of the fellowship. And yet Jesus comes along and says, listen, at the very core of my leadership team, one of you is going to betray me. We live in a world that is more fearful of losing our 401k in the stock market than we are of coming under the influence of evil. And sometimes we're more of afraid of our dreams not coming to pass than we are of doctrinal integrity. And we are more frightened sometimes by health issues than we would be about eternal loss. And we're more concerned with, about being accepted by unbelievers than having a lifestyle that is separated to holiness and to godliness been working on 20 years now and I'm going to tell this as vaguely as I can working on 20 years or, or so and uh, there was a uh, time where that, that brother Lewis called me and uh, he said I need you to go to such and so and and I need you to go down and, and check out this particular situation. And he said, I don't want you to go by yourself. He said, I, I want you to take brother Patterson with you and so uh, it, it was, uh, again, a, a situation that I really didn't want to deal with. And, and yet, Brother Lewis is, is saying, we, we need to find out. You need to look into this particular situation. So Brother Patterson and I went and uh, started working through the situation. It was a horrific situation that we began to get more and more details. And then uh, as things began to develop and it began to reach a point where that it was, it was at a place where we, we have to deal with this particular matter. I remember I pulled up to a place and and uh, and and our district was involved there, and and uh, pulled up, and and uh, I I drove drove in there, and and it was like, Lord, please help me see what I need to see. And uh, it was it was no more than two or three seconds. It was just an instant, and I looked, and there was a humongous brown snake that was coiled up around the house. And then I looked out around the corners of the house and there were vents that were down at the bottom and, and out of that there were snakes that were coming out of that. And you say you have a vivid imagination, very well could be, but the Lord used that to reveal and bring revelation, insight, and knowledge to my mind as it unfolded that evening there. Uh, one of Brother Davidson stepped up and was involved and started in to the deal and, and he said his part and then he come over to where I was at 
He said, Brother Harrelson, he said, I want to tell you this. He said, there is some of the deepest and darkest evil that I have ever been involved in in my life. And he said, the Holy Ghost has revealed this thing to me. Of course, we're in the middle of the part, and I can't tell him everything that has has unfolded in that. Uh, But as time has gone on, it's become very clear that the Lord used those moments to begin to bring about those matters of insight and and again I I do believe that that the Lord brings insight and wisdom to spiritual leaders but I preach this message to you here this morning uh, uh, on no pretense whatsoever I'm just reading through and preaching the scriptures I have no idea what may be taking place in your world but I would just say to you here today that Judas felt like he was so safe there and yet those disciples they were just as dumbfounded as well because when they began to look around oh Lord who, who, who in the world could be involved in this kind of matter and in this kind of part but I just want to pray just want to let you know here this morning that if there are hidden sins And if there is a matter of spiritual darkness that rests into every, into any heart, trust me, as time unfolds and as things begin to move, the more the path that people walk, the more revelation and the more light that gets turned on. And I pray that this week, Monday night, Tuesday night, Lord, turn the light on. And I pray that the Lord would turn the light on in my life. But I also pray the Lord would turn the light on in your life. And I pray the Lord would turn the light on in this church. Because hear me, if Judas could go back and redo everything, you can grant he would have never made a deal with the priest. He would have never made a deal with the devil because whenever he finally got what he wanted, here's what the Bible says. He took those 30 pieces of silver and he went back and he flung them down the feet of the priest. And then he hurriedly went out and hung himself. And somewhere in the process, either the limb or the rope broke. And he fell to his death. I'd like to pray for you here this morning. Our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for every bit of the grace and the mercy that reaches for us, Lord. If not on a daily basis, it's certainly, Lord, on a weekly basis. I ask you, Lord, this morning that you would somehow, God, by your convicting mercy and grace, that you would speak 
to every one of our hearts. If there is spiritual darkness, if there is a potential, God, that we would walk the same path that Judas did and to become a betrayer, I pray, Lord, this morning, please save us from this untoward generation. I pray, Lord, most of all, save us from ourselves. I pray, Jesus, that, Lord, that every person here would be able to come to a place of repentance, spiritual renewal, because, Lord, you still are reaching, you still are working. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These altars are open. If you'd like to come and pray, come and talk to the Lord. Remember what those disciples, instead of trying to figure out, oh, I, I, know, I know, it's somebody else. When you read in Matthew and you read in Mark, what was their response? Lord, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Is it me? Are those the things that you want to deal with in my life?